Welcome to Messy Closet, the spiritual journey of Generation X. I'm Roseanne Carlo, and here we explore the 70s, 80s, and 90s in New York City, and the lessons my friends and I may or may not have learned. Welcome back to another episode. I am so happy to be here. It's the week before Christmas, and I guess... This is a Christmas movie now. We are celebrating the 25th anniversary of the movie Titanic. So if you don't remember this movie, or if you've never heard of it, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, directed by James Cameron, it was a three-hour and 30-minute blockbuster in 1997. You can actually watch it right now for free on the Pluto station, which if you don't know the Pluto station, Gen Xers, it's got all the old school TV. I'll talk about that another time because we have to, because it's a great channel. But the movie was given a 7.9 out of 10 on IMDb, 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, 75% on Metacritic and 94% of Google users liked the movie. So again, the cast, Kate Winslet as Rose DeWitt Buca, Leonardo DiCaprio as Jack Dawson, Billy Zane was Caledon Hockley, Kathy Bates was Margaret Brown or the unsinkable Molly Brown, Bill Paxton was Brock Lovett. Gloria Stewart, of course, was the present day Rose DeWitt Buka. And Victor Garber was Thomas Andrews. And the cast just went on and on. And who else was in this movie? Let's see. Let's see. Bernard Hill was Captain Smith. Jonathan Hyde was Bruce Ismay, that very controversial character. And Susie Amis played Lizzie Calbert. And of course, Danny Nucci played Fabrizio. Oh, that scene made me so sad. So the movie in and of itself is just described as James Cameron's epic voyage on the Titanic, like he takes on the three days that the Titanic was at sea and he tells this particular version of what happened and it happens to be a love story. I remember going to see this on a very, very cold day in December, so it must have been right around when it came out. And I know it was a matinee because I remember we all said that it wasn't going to be very crowded. So we'd be able to really like, you know, just pay attention to the movie without too many people. Now, remember, this was before cell phones, which is my least favorite thing about the movies. People don't turn their phones off. And yeah, I hate that. So before then, it was just like people talking or whatever. So, you know, if you it was a popular movie that everyone wanted to see. Sometimes it was really fun with a packed theater. But this day... In particular, we just thought it would be more fun with a less packed theater. So we go, it's a matinee, it's freezing cold outside. I remember it was just really gray. And we sit down, we watch the movie, and I remember actually the guy ripping the ticket stub. This is how we used to do it. We used to go to the counter, 
wait in line, get the tickets, they would rip the stub and give you half of it. That way, if you had to leave, you could get back in. So we sit down to watch it and, you know, we're like, okay, we know it sank. It was called unsinkable. And I was a little obsessed, honestly, with just the whole wreck in and of itself. And I thought at least it was pretty cool that James Cameron went down to the wreck himself to check it out because that gave his story to me a little bit more validity. So, you know, he decided to take it to the romantic, right? The love story. And I guess that was a good choice to choose like two adults that were separated instead of maybe choosing a family. You know, I guess if I think about it, it was less heartbreaking to see two people who literally just fell in love within hours on that ship be torn apart than like the families that were actually torn apart. If you heard that, I dropped my glasses because I talk with my hands. So my first thoughts were the opening scenes when everyone was you know, getting to the ship and looking on it and all excited. I actually really enjoyed the opening scene. I loved Kate Winslet's outfit. I honestly thought she was just so stunning and so perfect for the role. I couldn't have ever imagined anyone else playing that role. And her chemistry with Leonardo DiCaprio is just 100% undeniable, so much so that I went to see Revolutionary Road because they were both starring in it. Also, again, just fantastic acting, fantastic acting. So, you know, the set itself was gorgeous. They recreated the staircase, which I loved. They recreated the dining halls. They recreated all of the details. I also found out, because I had become obsessed with the Titanic itself, that there was like a spa underneath with teak wood and all of these tiles that were untouched because it was like settled in the mud. And I don't think that they showed that in the movie. But what I liked about the movie was I thought timeline-wise, the early 1900s, the details in the clothing and the dishes and the way, you know, they, they spoke and held the champagne and, you know, the whole high society thing. I thought that was spot on. I really thought all of the actors were great in it. I mean, I was pretty captivated by the movie. I wasn't bored, you know. Um, you know, Celine Dion, we find out that was like, she thought that was the demo and it just turned out to be the theme song. Oh, my love to her with her rare neurological disorder that's happening that's so sad. Um, she's just amazing. So, you know, I loved all of that. I really thought, like I said, the chemistry was great. I thought everyone just was really, you know, into it. I think putting on those those outfits really just took them, you know, to that time. So I loved all of that. What I didn't love was how many times you heard 
Jack and Rose say Jack and Rose. That was like uh, like a hamster on a wheel. So that kind of drove me a little bit nuts. Um, the other thing that I didn't like was I believe with my heart that Jack could have fit on that door. So Kate Winslet being the ever charming woman, I love her, love her so much, weighed in on whether she believed Jack could have fit on the door. And she said, I don't effing know. And that was on the happy, sad, confused podcast. And that is hilarious. And like I said, I truly believe that he could have, but... Here's the thing. They were, you know, in the ocean, right? The big bathtub that they filmed in. And I have a story about that in a second. So they're in the ocean. And obviously, you know, everyone's either dead, dying, freezing to death. You know, whatever's going on, their bodies are shutting down. Even if they have a life jacket on, the waters are frigid. So... Jack does have to help Rose onto the door. So he kind of used a lot of his strength getting her on the door. Now, she used a lot of her strength running to the basement to find him to get the axe to break the handcuffs so that she could get him up to the deck so that they could get off the ship. So she was tired, and then they're both in these frigid temperatures, and she gets on the door. But really, truly, how was he going to get up there? Like, could she have pulled him up? I mean, possibly. Who knows? Maybe it would have flipped the door, and they both would have drowned or frozen to death. So... I still believe that he could have literally just physically fit on the door. Whether or not he logistically could have gotten up there, according to that scenario, I don't know. But I still believe that he could have. I mean, okay. So we get to the end of the movie. And we're looking for the heart of the ocean. By the way, my mother had bought me one of those gems, the heart of the ocean. I wonder where it is. Um, She gave it to me for Christmas that year. It was from Avon. If anyone has one of those, I wonder if that's like a collector's item now. So we get to the end, you know, and she goes to the edge of the boat and she drops the heart of the ocean back into the ocean for Jack. And then she goes and she lies down, whatever happens there. I don't know. Does she, is she, like, is that the end? Like, does she take her final, like, breaths? Or does she go on? I always got confused about that because the song said, every night in my dreams I see you, I feel you. So it was like she went to sleep and dreamed about him again. Or were their souls actually meeting? 
Which, again, is wonderful. Like, that would be nice to think that, like, there's an alternate universe where, you know, everyone's still on the Titanic and alive and made it to their destination. Okay, true story time and back to the bathtub comment. So, it's winter, December, it's 1997. Now, we get back to classes at AMDA. And so, it's probably January 1998 at this point. And... Here's the thing, you know, you're in acting school and all of us are critics in our own rights when it comes to art and movies and music, TV. But when you get to acting school, those critics and critiques become eh, different. They hit different, I'll just say. So I'm sitting in acting class and the teacher asks, had anyone seen Titanic? So I know I answered yes that I had, and maybe a couple of other people had as well. And she asked, you know, did we like it? So I'm not going to lie and say, you know, I didn't like it. I did like it. It wasn't like, oh my God, you know, I got to see this 10 times. But I did like it. So she starts going on about how it was filmed in a giant bathtub with everyone wearing straight jackets, straight jackets, life jackets, help me. And she's talking about, you know, how it was just green screened when the ship was going down and, you know, the sets were like plaster of Paris. I mean, it was the most hilarious rant and James Cameron was just recreating his own thing and just so, you know, so, so weird, so very critical. And she's like, oh, and if you didn't know, and so I knew this a while back that he was the artist that drew Kate Winslet Rose like the French girl. And I remember hearing that thinking, well, how could she possibly know? But it turned out it's true. So she also, I think I'd spoken about her. She worked for Tony Randall. Like she was his personal assistant. So I guess you get to know things in the industry and I guess you get to form, I mean, everyone obviously forms their own opinion about the industry that they work in. So her opinion was that it was a giant bathtub with life jackets and green screens. (laughs) But still, I have to give it to you know, the costumes and the lighting and the makeup and the acting, they really were great. All of it. And I mean, Kathy Bates was in it too. And Billy Zane. I just thought, whoa. That was it. That's my whole thought, looking at him all dapper in that tuxedo just going whoa (laughs) and there's that part of me you know that thinks i always wanted to know i guess what it would have been like to have been wealthy in that time you know that formal because we're so relaxed now and even you know in the 80s and the 90s especially nothing was particularly formal not even holidays really although my family always sort of tried to dress up a little bit nicer at least wear like a Christmas sweater or something um you know just to mark that it was a special occasion 
But to think that they dressed like that every day and then got ready at night even fancier. I don't know. It's kind of just like another side of like royalty, just as formal, but I guess maybe with less like bowing and curtsying and things like that. But I always wondered, you know, if I could be a time traveler and kind of step in and out of all of these eras and just experience what it was like, that definitely would be one. Don't know if I would want to be on the Titanic exactly. You know, looking at the footage and seeing, I remember the first images in 1985, hmm, maybe? I am correct. It was 1985, and it was founded by a joint French-American expedition led by Jean-Louis Michel and Robert Ballard. And the French company was I-F-R-E-M-E-R, if Rimmer, probably pronouncing that wrong. And the American company was the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. And I remember seeing those very first images. You know, now they're so clear with all of the sonar and radars and, you know, all of the modern technology. And you can actually, like, go down close to it. But then their little submersible, it just was able to get these really grainy pictures of the bow that's so famous and a little bit of the the engines and some of those funnels on top but I remember it being so like breathtaking like it literally just you were like oh my god because for years you know we heard the Titanic it hit an iceberg and it didn't make it to New York and you know all of these souls drowned and they don't know where the wreck is and people were searching and searching. And without the most modern technology like that we have now, where it would be much easier, you know, via satellite to even locate shipwrecks. Here they did it in 1985. So 12 years later, we get a movie, which, you know, I mean, the way it ended, because there were rumors, right? There were rumors that Captain Smith also made it off the boat and was in a lifeboat and lived out his life. But in the movie, you know, he went to the wheelhouse and just stayed there and went down with the ship. And it was a beautiful image. It really was. It was, like, very haunting. But then, of course, there was the true story of Bruce Ismay who on the night of April 14th jumped into a lifeboat and left the ship and it wasn't women and children first and he was the one that called the ship unsinkable and I remember there was that dialogue I think between him and Rose in the movie it was supposed to be like something was it like I'm sorry I didn't build you a stronger ship like why are you only sorry to her that bothered me in the movie too but, um, or someone said that, it was a weird thing. But this guy actually, you know, didn't abide by the women and children first. And I think it just didn't do well for him 
that, you know, he survived it. I mean, I understand the primal instinct. I really do. But I understand that back then there was, uh, you know, a sort of civilized way to do things. And he did not act in a civilized manner. He was not a gentleman. I mean, he was criticized very heavily and called a coward. And then he suffered a very massive stroke. It left him unconscious, blind and mute for three days. And then he passed away. And uh, it says October 17th at the age of 74. And that was in the year 1937. So, yeah, there you go. Maybe don't um, jump ship and leave some women and children behind. I don't know. I think, you know, besides some of the flaws in the movie, though, like I said, I liked how they portrayed Captain Smith heroically going down with the ship it kind of like squashed those rumors that he also jumped into a lifeboat. I just wouldn't believe that. I don't know why, but I don't believe that. But I also did love the band. The band members truly were the heroes of that night. They were playing music to keep everyone's spirits up as the ship was sinking, as families were being separated as women and children were being placed into lifeboats and the last song that they played was nearer my god to thee the musicians names were william braley roger bricou john clark wallace hartley jock hume George Crins, Percy Taylor, and John Wesley Woodward. And there they were just like, almost realizing like, okay, this is why we were put on earth. And I think that was my favorite moment of the movie to show how brave and calm and incredibly courageous these men were to just keep playing music for everyone that's just heart and soul and then you know some men jumped ship just saying but I do remember really loving so many parts of the movie I really cannot believe it's been 25 years 25 years have gone by. I remember stepping out of the car, so cold, getting to the front door, and I just couldn't wait to get my popcorn and Diet Coke and watch the movie. And I think there were some raisinettes in there too. So I don't know if you guys, you know, love the movie, hate the movie, if there's things that irk you about it, go ahead and leave me a comment. And thanks for tuning in. This has been another episode of Messy Closet. And don't forget to keep art and keep love alive.